Whoa, what do you know? We're talking today about the how and the what. What does that mean, how and the what? Okay, I'll explain what that means. In a normal organization, the product people bring the what to the teams, and the teams bring the how to the product people. To the product people? To the product. They bring it to the product. So the teams decide how they're going to implement what product wants. Product comes to the teams and brings them what the business needs worked on next and should also know at the same time why they're bringing that as well. So the product people bring the what, but they're also informed as to the why to the larger business organization around them. And then the team tells them, okay, based on what you brought, this is how we're going to implement it. So there's two wheels in the company. I'm trying not to do this on camera. (laughs) So what I wanted to talk about today was the what and the how. It's not really what versus how, it's just the what and the how together. And it's interesting you said the product also brings the why. Mm -hmm. Because without that, the teams are limited in their spectrum of imagination. There's ways to come up with solutions if you knew why you had to do something. So it's important to do that. I wonder if most organizations bring the why as well or is it just the what? That's why I figured we talk, we start talking about this because different people listening to this will be in different size organizations. Yeah. So I figured we'll step through this conversation. We'll try to move quickly through the how this applies at different size companies. So if you've seen this at different size companies, it look it's going to look a little different. It's going to look a little different if it's functioning properly. And also if it's dysfunctional, it's going to look a little different. Right? Very different. So in my experience at, a, at the smallest of companies, small companies, let's say like 20 people, startups, startups yeah, yeah, startups. Yeah. Most of the what will come, probably come from your CEO, or if you're lucky enough to have a product person early with the startup, it'll come directly from them. It'll it, basically, what I'm saying is it'll, it'll seem to all come from one person who, who either will be a product person, or, but if your company doesn't have a product person, it will likely be a founder of the company. Right, an entrepreneur perhaps, right? So yes, I agree. This is what we're building, this is what my company is all about, and maybe he can even, or she can even articulate the the why. Um, But you're unlikely, I would say, at that scale, to to have product roles just yet. Well, you'll, I mean, you'll have product roles, but the the people that are in positions may not, I mean, they'll they'll be named literally whatever they want to be named. sales roles. Yeah, you could, yeah. Well, if you understand what, what modern product is about, you will be able to understand the the founders that are playing the role of product in the organization. You because they will be the people who are subject matter experts of the business domain where the problem you're trying to solve exists. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, and, and you should be. And, you know, basically they're they're a, a, a bottomless bottomless pit. They're, <laughs> they're they're an endless fountain of facts and expertise about the problem that those users that you're building stuff for whatever whatever you're servicing. They're they're an and endless source of try not to say bottomless pit again because <laughs> it doesn't sound right at all no. they can answer any question they're complete experts at whatever the area is that you're operating in yeah for sure they'll have plenty of ideas opinions maybe some facts i think what i'm saying is that when you have that as your source of facts in quotes mm-hmm. you really need to kind of validate them because they may have a colored opinion sure, on yeah. what they're trying to solve and why yeah. Yeah. Like there's a problem, or sometimes what happens is they have a solution in mind first. Mm-hmm. This is what my company is all about. Therefore, I'm going to come up with problems that can be right. solved with this solution, right. right? So you need to vet those. You yeah. need to vet the problem statements, the pain points, the who are the paying customers, yeah. right? Yeah, now you're getting back into like the, the podcast I want to have with Tricia where we're talking about being the first product owner at the company yeah. because the, the first product owner at the company, you'll, you'll deal with this with the founder. You'll deal with them. Um, they're the business expert and you likely are not. Okay, so you'll deal with, there'll be a certain part of your time that is spent building credibility 
in that, hey, trust me, I can deal with the problem. You know, I mean, you've delegated to me some responsibility, and now I've got to prove that I can handle the responsibility where you can let go, and you're not coming to all my refinements, and you're not coming to all, you know what I mean, that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, hey, come to the demo, occasionally pop into a refinement where we need you to answer questions or we need your expertise, and then go and do whatever else you're doing in the business and go go run a good business. We got the product side of it. Until they trust you to do that, um, there's a certain amount of, of, of work that goes into that. That's, that, that. All that stuff is a whole separate podcast. It's, yeah, all, yeah. it's, a, it's a special skill set. It's a lot of empathy, a lot of like quick learning and, and, and experiments and stuff like that that I'm sure we'll eventually talk about. Trisha, maybe. Please come back. So small company, right? You have the two sides that we talked about, the what, hopefully the why as well, mm -hmm. and then the how. So what are some of the issues there that we can dive into here, right? Small company. Yeah. Clearly somebody's brought in the idea of what to build. Like this is what we need. Right. Maybe even why we need this. Now the team goes away and does that and, and somehow magically it all works or are there issues where the teams aren't perhaps clear on the what necessarily yep. day one. They come up with something, let's just call it a, a prototype or even a prototype, mm -hmm. um, and they need to validate that. And the, the people, usually a person, as we just said, would look at that and say, yeah, not quite what I had in mind. Yep. So all manner of different interactions could come out of that, right? Mm -hmm. So we can probably yeah. look, look under the hood a bit like, there. I'm kind of okay with getting pushback from your internal stakeholders and getting your product over the initial hurdle of the people in the company are happy with it. I'm kind of okay with that as a product manager to say that like, hey, the internal stakeholders, I, I, I'm used to the internal stakeholders just being far more vicious than anybody externally. And, and like, yeah. but that's good. Like I don't, it is good. I don't, I don't mind healthy conflict as long as it leads to, cause I'm not gonna take it seriously. Cause the, like the product is not my baby. It's not my child. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's, it's something that we are producing and we are going to keep working at it until it gets better. It's not something we did one time and that's it. And we don't have a chance to improve it. Yep. You know? Yep. So we're going to keep working at it. So I don't, I don't mind vicious feedback like that or just people just telling me like, oh, I don't like this because whatever. But, but also, um, we have priorities and limited resources. Stuff, all the stuff you do with a small company. Where I want to go with this is at a small company let's if they're 20 people or whatever maybe you have two separate teams three separate teams whatever it is a small company like that you have the opportunity at the end of every sprint to quite literally get the entire company into your review along with maybe a, a key stakeholder or two from external or whatever right um or people in the field that you're trying to solve a problem people customers external customers that you're trying to solve a problem for and 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 literally the whole company i showed this in, in the podcast where stormy and i were talking about going from being a product owner to a product manager i showed a graphic that basically was the percent of time that product managers spend in their day talking about how much time you spend tactical meaning with your development team how much time you spend op operating operating meaning lining up dates dependencies stuff like that between teams and how much time you spend at a strategic level those three things the operating thing, I feel the advantage of a small company like this is you don't have to spend so much time operating because every time you do a sprint, every time you do a sprint review, I was going to say sprint demo, I'm trying to use the right word. Every time you do a sprint review, you, you literally have everybody possible in the sprint review. And you can say, okay, this is what we're doing and this is what we have. Let's get feedback. Let's all talk about it. Let's decide what's higher priority, what's not, whatever. And then you can watch me adjust the backlog. You can watch me record the items. And you can watch me bring up the backlog and say, this is my plan going forward as next steps based off of what you said and based off of what I know. And this and like everyone is always informed about the absolute latest, latest of the latest. 
basically. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the advantage of this in a, in a small setting. Right. Everyone's available. They're at arm's length. That's right. a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I feel the, the what is very well covered, right? Because we're never going more than the normal cadence without syncing up with everybody. That, and that's the advantage. So if we're talking about like, hey, maybe our practices about how we're delivering things between teams are not the best. Like you, you have a session where you're doing a, a, a review. And, and although we're not, we're, I'm specifically trying to not talk about scaling today because I hate talking about scaling. I feel like every time, every time anyone ever in any podcast I listen to talks about scaling, I'm like, woo, I'm out. I'm, out. I'm not learning anything. In this very small organization with like two or three teams, right there in that sprint review, you can go team to team to team and basically see the sprint review for three different teams right in one session. Okay. And, and literally it's the whole company. But then when, when you're planning and when you're trying to say like, oh, well, I need you to work on this or, or you know, oh, you're, you're the way that you work with this component is a little bit different than the way we work with this component or whatever. Like you can kind of hash it out because it's three teams. There's no meetings three weeks out. There's right. no delays. There's no cost of delay and the waiting time and stuff like that. If you decide that you want to change your process, that's what I'm trying to say. You know, th there's very little delay in changing your process. The team members just talk to each other and uh, it's, you do it. Yeah, that, at that level, the organizational inertia is just not there. So it's, it's much easier to move. I agree with that. The process change of how teams work with each other, I consider under the how cycle. I just presented a new idea, which probably was hidden from the beginning of the podcast till now, which is I consider all of the business prioritization and the breaking down of work, like typical business analysis type work, I consider that under the banner of the what. And under the banner of the how, I consider everything that development does on a day-to-day -day basis, writing code, everything testers do, stuff like that, anybody on a scrum team, right? But also I consider the process in which teams work with one another, I consider that part of the how to be discussed in whatever whatever group just talks about how. Yeah, I fully concur with that, absolutely. So it's pretty clear, right? At, at a company that's quite small, you don't have a lot of fluff or noise, all that stuff that you right. have. People are available, you can get things done. Right. And decision-making chains are much shorter. Yes. Which is great. Yes. Delay. Yeah, delay is much yeah. shorter too. Is it time to sell Brian and Ohm's firm uh, and cash out uh, and get our golden parachute for staying for a year to make sure that not all of our employees quit like after a year? <laughs> yeah. that, that's what happens when firms sell out. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm shocking anyone right now about like wow. your founders are under some kind of contractual obligation to stay for a certain amount of time, depending on how savvy the negotiators were that bought your company. And then they're going to cash out and go on to their next venture. But in the meanwhile, another company bought Brian Ohm's software development firm, our, our 20 person company. And now our 20 person company is getting merged into a, I, I don't know, 100, 150. <laughs> well, they don't have to be that big. Let's say it's 150 person. So let's know. say it's not a huge company. It's just that it's another equal or just a little bit bigger company, yeah. perhaps. Now what happens? Now you've got two companies, either if it's takeover, merger, it doesn't matter. The ways of working are going to change, mm -hmm. um, whether you like it or not. Typically, the acquirer will prevail. So sure. it's their yeah. ways of working that would be kind of passed down to the teams. You do it this way now. Yeah. If you did have any middle layer at all, even if it was a small company, a development manager is perhaps an example. They may not be around anymore because you don't need two sets of development managers. Sure. So maybe the teams are rolled up under the acquirer's dev manager or mm -hmm. your director of development, mm -hmm. whoever, and, and they will have their own practices that they will basically get the teams to, to follow. And then what I just said about the development team and the how also applies on the other side, product side. 
the interesting thing here is development is development at the end of the day, but product is different because people's knowledge for domain set is different. Mm -hmm. So now you've been acquired by a company that may understand your domain to some degree or may not. Yeah. And now you've got some friction because if they keep your product folks around, you, you're going to want to see how that plays out, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how does that play out in practice? Well, I feel it's fairly important at this point to point out like what, what you just highlighted goes pretty much unsaid on every, every podcast, every source I read. If you're grouping inside the organization, right? Your, your subgroup inside the organization, a lot of people are going to be like, what does that mean? That means nothing to me. I don't understand a subgroup. If the teams that work on software that were from the merger from your side of the organization and the teams from this other side of the organization, if the users that use that software are different from one side of the organization to the to another, now you've got a much bigger problem because now the what, the what cycle needs to divide between user segments and you need to like you need to draw a, a, a dotted group line between those user segments and keep those groups separate because now we're talking about context switching of like let's say that we sell brian and ohm's uh, software company <laughs> and, <laughs> I like the sound and, of that. and uh and and you take the deal to stick around and deal with the pain for a year to make sure all the employees don't quit and i'm like whatever there's no amount of money you can get no amount of money you can give me to stick around suckers You're on a and cruise, I, already. yeah they're like but brian we'll give you all this money to stick around for a year i'm like i'm not sticking around you guys dismantle my product and my teams like not not happening and i take my money and i go off and i start like brian's logistics software company because that's where like a, a lot of my domain expertise is and i buy a company immediately like oh i'll buy a logistics software firm and i find out that like my logistics software firm uh services like truck drivers and dispatchers well truck drivers and dispatchers like the software that works for truck drivers and dispatchers it's very similar because the dispatchers talk to truck drivers and the truck drivers talk to dispatchers makes total sense however Sent, yes. however <laughs> however dispatchers care about one thing and truck drivers care about something completely different that's basically they both care about the same things the only thing the only difference is their problems that they have are centric to themselves they're concerned about themselves the, you know what i mean the truck driver is concerned about like what, what's my route when when do i have to stop uh, am i going to be you know what i mean how's my equipment is it safe that kind of stuff like depending on if they drive themselves or if they drive trucks or whatever there's a lot of variables am i going to be penalized for speaking out about something if i point out a problem or whatever the problem of a truck driver and the the, the way the software flows for a truck driver is very different so the team when you go and deploy a software development team to say, hey, write me great software for truck drivers, that team and their product people are gonna spend a lot of time concentrating on the what, what needs to happen? What are your problems? And then the team's gonna say, how can we solve those problems? And they're gonna get to work solving those problems. And those problems that they solve, dispatchers, maybe some, there might be some overlap, but dispatchers are not gonna, they'll be like, I don't care. I don't care about that. Let the, let the truck driver figure that out. They can figure it out. They're smart people. They figured out. Solve my problem. I'll give you an example of a, of a complicated dispatcher problem. Like I, there was um, dispatch systems do this. They 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 go tag people. I don't know if this. Is, I might cut this whole thing out. It's just a, it's a fun story. It's a fun story for for logistics. So when you're like, oh, what, like how hard is it to be a dispatcher, right? Like oh. you're 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 uh, if you if all the trucks have little electronic logging devices in the trucks that they'll be phoning home and telling you where the trucks are. So you can map all your trucks over the whatever, region, area, whatever, you know, mean, roll up, roll down. So if you want to know, hey, I've got to go pick up, I've got to go pick up a, 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 a truckload of something in some areas so of Tampa, Florida, for example, I have a, I have a truckload of something sitting on the outskirts of Tampa. I need to know what truck drivers are within a 50 mile radius. 
know what I mean? Or are going to be in a 50 mile radius within this window of time, you know what I mean? Before, before, because a different cargo has different requirements. A lot of right? variables. Yeah, a lot of variables. With so, the right capacity, so, all that stuff. Right? Yeah, with, with, with the right capacity like, to yeah. drive. Yes, with the right capacity to drive. So I need my software to, to understand all those variables. And then when I go, hey, I've got this, I've got this load. I need to be picked up. Show me who I could offer this to. I need the software to go out, query all that information, and then t- and then give me a list that I already know it doesn't include anything that is out of my criteria. So the software for the dispatcher gets very complicated. Everything I just said applies to the truck driver from the perspective of, like, I am a driver, I'm in the area, you know that I'm going to have availability should I hit all my commitments. So I am a stakeholder to the software, but the main person's problem is I don't know what drivers to offer this to. It solves a very specific problem for a specific user. So again, like that was a huge, giant, ridiculous around the world story. Where I was going with that is, the dotted line is like, these people are the experts at what a dispatcher needs. These people are the experts at what the driver needs. And you can scale your teams and stuff like that, depending on like, if I write a lot more driver software than I write dispatcher software, then maybe I need more people over here. But the point is, I'm drawing little group dotted lines and i'm not saying that this team over here can't work on software over here or whatever if you're a smaller company most likely you will be servicing multiple personas yeah however i started this example saying in in brian cash out money i'm going to go buy a logistics firm like i'm going to try to have my team that writes things for one persona only ever write things for that persona so they become absolute experts they're the best at solving problems for that specific user yeah, what you said makes perfect sense. You want to make sure that you're trying to get that expertise in the right pod, team, whatever you want to call it, yeah. so that they, the depth, the richness of their product is superlative. I mean, it's as good as it can be and because they understand the problem statement, what, right. what they're trying to solve for. Um, well, but the small the companies- They understand all the whys. The, yeah, okay. Exactly. So in small companies, you may have people that are doing double duty, etc. And that might even be okay. That might even be okay because you know what you've got is backups, etc. But when the company gets bigger or gets acquired, however it gets bigger, mm-hmm. things get different because now you've got different forces pulling at these people, right? Yeah. So you have you have internal forces, which is the, the POs that are for product A versus product B. Yeah, uh, they're saying here, here's my product, here's my product. Yeah, and teams have to now figure out how they're going to service both. Yeah. If you don't specialize one versus the other, how do you do that, right? Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah, I I see where you're going, but if you don't specialize the what category, how do you know you're not cannibalizing one product over another or one feature over another with Mm -hmm. your different teams? How how do you know you're not cannibalizing? Especially, I think of like, I think of visionary-led companies because visionary-led companies can blow up too. You know, I think of all the companies that I've ever seen that start expanding, like uh, unchecked expansion. Mm -hmm. Or I think of every sales-led company I've ever been at or interacted with where their salespeople are going out and finding new audiences and selling things and everything's selling like like wildfire. But the users of the software are so different. Every time the sales makes a sale of the product, they leverage some feature that doesn't exist yet to be like, oh, if we just add this one thing, you'll sign. Okay, well, why don't you sign now and in the next X number of days, 50 days, 30 days, 10 days, whatever it is, we'll implement the thing that you need. And now the development team is under the gun to implement whatever the feature is in, in whatever the 
contractually obligated deadline is. Basically, the salesperson wrote a blank check, uh, wrote, wrote a blank check, and then the development team's got to cash it like that. You know, that that's an effect of the the what is very murky because you have you're servicing different personas. It's a hook onto. I guess I'm talking about personas. No, that's now. that's absolutely right. I've seen that. I've seen that where parts of the sales organization is servicing, let's say, the government sector versus yeah, yeah. you know the private sector, yeah. things like that. So yeah, it can get very murky. Yeah. And like I'm like I'm not trying to beat up sales, and like I, that's that's not where I'm going with. What's going well, on no, we need we need sales. Where I was going with this tirade was, at, at when the company starts expanding, and you have different products entering the mix, the what is getting less focused. That's where that's where I was going. Less focused. So whether you have multiple teams working on one product or multiple teams working on multiple products, or the worst case, which is. Uh, one, one team, team working on multiple, multiple products and that's yeah. the worst yeah. out of this it, regardless of what it is like you now you're losing focus so when you're losing focus i i think the only thing you can reach out to like a, a like a like a drowning person the only thing you can reach out to is like what what is our why why are we doing this who are we servicing in the small organization the founders are playing that role I can tell you why. Just come into my office. I'll tell you all about the, the deep, deep, deep problems that this segment of the market has or this user has or this persona has, basically. Right. Now that my company is expanding and is servicing maybe different segments of the, of the same market or maybe branching out into different markets, who does that role now? Like, do we have to bring in product now? I think there's very little choice at that stage, right? Because what's happened here is you've got, you've got different products I'm assuming there's different products mm-hmm. uh, from both companies, even though if it's a huge overlap, there's still different products and they right. need to be understood right. by people. They need to be owned by people. And if you don't have product here, what's going to happen is mayhem. Yeah. Well, I think if you don't have product by this point in the company, you'll be, your culture will be doing projects. You'll try to handle it. Uh, you'll try to handle them as a one-off. Like we, we can throw this out there and then toss it over the fence and then right off in the sunset and, you know I mean? Get rid of the entire team and never look back. And then it, it basically <laughs> the customer will get something and they'll be like, mm, this isn't exactly what I wanted. I don't know about this. You know, right. I don't know. maybe if it did this and this would be a better product. Like I, I think at that point you'll get people that pay for your stuff and then like, use it for a while and then never renew or, or, or never use your product in the first place. They, they get it, they try to mess with it and they discard it. You know? That's how you lose customers. So let's, so now it's a mid-sized company, let's say. Yeah. We have, let's assume we have product. Yeah. Because the other alternative is much shorter. Well, we have about. to at this point. If we yeah. have multiple products, we have to have product people at this point. There's going to be at least two products yeah. in the lowest case, right? Yeah. Because you have company A, company B. Likely there's going to be multiple products. Right. So you have product, they come in. Now, what are some of the issues that you see here? It's now a single company, but the mindsets of the company staff are still divided. Okay, okay, right? I, I'm going. I, I see where you're going. So, so the most obvious problem now that we have right now is even if even if let's say one company had product people and one company did not because yeah. they had founders, right? right. One, one company have the twenty person company. Brian and I'm software development firm had founders, and we knew everything. So you know, me well, you knew everything, and I just, I just <laughs> took waved, the money and ran. Yeah, I just waved my hands and took my money and ran, cashed okay. out. I, I had the patent. That's what. That's what. That's my contribution. I did the paperwork, and uh, and the other the other company, the acquiring company now, they have product people. So there's a transition period. You know, what I mean, you're working with their product people, and you're still kind of serving to anchor the business until your contract is up at the end of the year, and then you've cashed out or whatever. You got in your golden parachute or whatever. And uh, like, I don't know why I'm harping on this so much because <laughs> it's hilarious. What I think you will have problems with is 
company A over here that was wrong with the founders involved and company B over here that like kind of like graduated to having like handing off the product people. What I expect is the product people will come in and be like, okay, like we'll set up some product stuff. We'll do some personas. We'll start learning our users. Like the, the product people will know what needs to be done. Okay. Assuming they're not just marketing people that are called product people. Right. Assuming, assuming, but we'll, we're, we're going to go out on a limb and say they have real product people for a second. What I do expect to happen is all these people over here that would just get together in a company meeting and be like, this is what we did. And oh, this process isn't working and whatever. I expect the two companies to have big problems sorting out how things get delivered. Like maybe one one organization is completely on board with test-driven development and the other organization basically like their product people just like clicked through the site when it went live and said, this is good enough. One company went and installed stuff at pajama parties in the middle of the night on servers and the other company is completely containerized. They don't do that. There is some discussion about like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't touch our servers. Right. Well, what do you mean we can't touch the service? Like, how are we going to deploy any software? We can't touch the service. That discussion now has to happen, and it's got to happen with a fairly high priority so that this, the, the, what I think of as a definition of done, right? But we're going to, I'm trying not to use terms that might scare people or whatever. I'm, trying, I'm just trying to say the, the ways of working, the process of how the software gets developed needs to be discussed and agreed on between the two teams so that a definition of done can be established, amended, whatever between the teams and then the other team that never did any of that kind of stuff can kind of come up to speed and learn what they need to do so because you're merging two two different teams that do things differently absolutely i agree fully that's where i was going with the mindset question because you're good human beings right you're gonna get that the quicker that's addressed the better usually the acquirer company is going to basically put down the rules and say this is how we do things around here at the smaller company, we had regular cycles of just adjusting a little bit to get back on track. Now when we're going through and we have wildly different teams coming together, so when the two teams come together, they need to spend more time up front trying to figure out how they can consolidate their ways of working to, to bring the two worlds together, to, to coexist and work together, right? Just like a backlog refinement for a team that is brand new. So if I'm leadership and I say, hey, Ohm, uh, th- thanks for staying on at Brian and Ohm's software development company. It's now just Ohm's development company. Ohm and Ohm plus corporate overlord development company. Like, <laughs> thanks for staying on. I need you to get these teams working together. Okay, well, in order to do that, if I were to go to you and say, hey, you're gonna develop a brand new product from the ground up, you'll say, well, I, I need some time to, to see the backlog. I got to build a backlog from the ground up. Like, what's my first epic? What's my second epic? What's my, what are my initial, what are my goals? What is my product vision? Like, you have to sit down with your team, bring stakeholders in and talk about it all together. It's yeah. gonna take time. Absolutely, it's I, like reset yeah. for me, right? Coming from that small company in this example, yeah. it's a reset. It sure is, yeah. So I'm gonna start with the basics, right? Why are we in business? Right. I mean, we'll just start there. And, and go from there, which is going to be painful for the company that's been around and just been doing things the, their way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, if they don't have good practices, this is where the friction is going to happen. The small company that got acquired is going to say, we had all that figured out. You're saying, don't do that. You're deploying in the middle of the night, all that stuff. What's going to happen is there will be some friction, maybe more than some. You're going to lose some good people. Yeah. That's what's going to happen here. And we talked about this being an issue on the the how side, the how circle, but it's also an issue in the what circle because ways of working are different between the two companies. You know, people are working from different perspectives from a larger company versus a small company. Small company, maybe they they have their their niche product that hits certain personas. They've got those personas well-defined, et cetera. The larger company, on the other hand, may or may not be in that same spot, right? Mm -hmm. So 
again, you're going to have those issues there, probably less so than in the house circle. But yes, you're still going to find them there. Let's say, for example, that whatever exists of Brian and Ohm Software Development Company in its in its current acquired form, I'm random random corporate executive, whatever, CTO, CFO, whatever, you know what I mean, the company. And I say, okay, like enough of this, like we need to integrate these companies. I'm going to go out and I'm going to hire like a enterprise agile coach to make sure that like we're we're meshing and integrating together over time. If you were to come into a company like that where we're we're integrating two companies together, what would your game plan kind of be? Would you go to say like, hey, like let's establish a definition of done, let's do some basic working together stuff? Because I, I would assume you would do something like make sure that your product your product function is operating well, you know what I mean, communicating that kind of stuff. But also let development team to development team, you know what I mean, in between development teams is also cooperating and talking to each other and working together and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely correct. So the first thing you said, you know, you asked me about the first thing. First thing I would do is nothing. I would probably just observe, yeah, observe, yeah. figure out what's going on, sure. and then come up with a game plan. Certainly, will be based on some base level education, right? Mm -hmm. And the important thing there is not to single out the acquirer company yeah. and train that group of people mm -hmm. only, it, it, because you're assuming based on your observations, so you're assuming that the company that was acquired had everything perfect which I haven't seen yet. Yeah. So everybody together, the base level sets of delivery of agile education, let's put yeah. it that way. Yeah, yeah. Establish some good sound principles and practices. Get the tooling set up where it makes sense. And then the, the next order of business pretty soon actually for me is going to be to integrate the teams in a literal sense. So this us and them thing, that's what I have to break up, right? right yeah. So I may take a developer from the acquirer company and put them in another team mm -hmm. the, from the other side mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about the how still, but even on the product side, do the same sort of thing. Let them understand their ways of working. Yeah. Let them commonly agree or disagree on why are they in business? Who are the customers? What are the products? How can the customers be served best? Yeah. What are our delivery channels? I mean, the whole plethora of questions. So that will be the game plan initially. But you still have to put out some markers out there to say, how do you know if it's working well? Right. 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 Once you get into that integration phase, you'll be able to gauge as an agile coach. You can gauge how well it's going after a very short period of time, like mm -hmm. literally maybe a month. Mm -hmm. And you make minor adjustments to the process. Now it's not the time to really make big adjustments because the whole thing can come tumbling down because people haven't really established that trust with one another yet. So minor adjustments and minor improvements building up the, the product side and the how the development side. Right. I mean, the third side that is almost always not discussed is the leadership side, because now you've got leadership from right. both sides too. Well, that's, right? I, I feel at the point where I, like the, the CFO or CEO or whatever, I, I feel at the point where I bring you in as an enterprise agile coach, like I'm bringing, I'm also bringing you in to tell me like what, what I'm like, if I'm the CFO, for example, just, just, just to pick a random C-level executive, yeah. I, could, I could pick operations or the CEO. I really could pick anyone. I'm picking on the CFO because he, he's the easiest to say like, why am I paying for all these development teams? Mm -hmm. Like, wh wh why, like, hey, I acquired this other company and I got all their backend systems and I got all their source code and whatever. Why don't I just fire their entire team and my developers can maintain their product backlog? I don't understand why I have two. Like, I, um, so I'm bringing on an agile coach to basically tell me, like, because I don't know anything about d developing software. So I, not only am I bringing on an agile coach to help me understand what I'm paying for. Again, the, the people at the top of the company that pay the bills and stuff like that. Like, they, they, I can't expect them to be experts in what works in software development. So they're gonna bring somebody in to help them, even if it's only whatever three months, six months, whatever it is. Yep. 
that that's kind of where I'm going down this, down this road of, hey, maybe the people at the top are looking for help, or I say people at the top, maybe the people upstream are looking for help on how to better communicate, and maybe the people dealing with the what and the people dealing with the how, maybe they are loaded to their max w- with all of the activities in the in the in the company, and I, I'm going to bring on somebody to kind of be a, they're out of the day to day work, they have the ability to be with me at a leadership level to give me a, a clear opinion, an unbiased opinion with clarity because they're not stuck in the day-to-day work. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, no, I think they used the word there, unbiased. I mean, yeah. somebody coming in isn't really vested in one side or the other or any side, really. They're just coming in, looking at it, and kind of almost holding up the mirror and say, this is how you guys look, right? right? right. Now, let, let's just acknowledge that, the status quo. And then how we go forward from here is that's when I would partner with the, the leaders, like the directors of development, et cetera, right, right. go to the skills matrix and say, there's some justification, get the hard data and say, yeah. you really cannot support that product. You cannot fire all these people. Maybe, yeah. maybe we can do some reorg, but it, it'd be foolish to say, you can just cut this loss, right? And take them off the spreadsheet. That That's mm-hmm. not how it should go. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But that's the sort of thing that you would do is go in there, reason armed with evidence that this is your proposal, and this is why, and the and the numbers back you up. I want to ask you what the ideal situation looks like, at least as close to, to it as we can get. What I think the ideal situation looks like is all of the product managers with, I don't know, maybe a rep from each team or whatever, all the product managers basically are meeting on a regular basis, regular cadence. I'm just picking numbers out of the air. It could be whatever it is for your organization, but for, for Brian and Ohm's development company we've chosen the proper cadence is once per iteration all the product managers are going to get together talk about what's upcoming talk about the the initiatives that the business wants to get into we're going to have reps on that call from all around the business and we're going to have the decision makers from the business on the call to say yes this is what i want to commit money to or or maybe no i don't want to commit money to that or maybe maybe like Yes, I do want to commit money, only a little tiny bit, or you need to prove that there is a, a, a market there before I commit money to it. I've seen that a million million times. That happens on a regular cadence, and it's it's constantly going forward. That gives leadership confidence that the product people are moving forward with the top business priorities. While that's going on, there is meetings happening on a regular cadence as well with everybody from each of the development teams to say, these are the things we're working on. This is how it might interact with the other teams. This is how it might not interact with the other teams. Also, in addition to that, they're saying, what can we be doing process-wise to improve the lives of all the teams together? Product might sit as a, like a stakeholder in that conversation, but product, normally that, that, that meeting is probably like so in the weeds that product is just like multitasking and listening and whatever, you know what I mean? In case they're called on, they're, that's the only reason they're on that call. So assuming we're at a point now in our company where we have those two processes working and both are healthy, producing healthy results. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I fully concur that in that scenario where product is meeting on a regular cadence, probably depends on a lot of stuff, right? The nature of the product, to what degree various products it could be um, several have dependencies, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But let's assume that the process is working pretty well. When the, the how side, that circle, when they're meeting for yeah. process improvement, then yes, products at the table, more of an eye on the racy, more informed, maybe maybe see, maybe consulted if there's something that we want to change about the intake process or whatever it might be. So in that scenario, yes, but mostly it's the eyes that they're, they're as informed. 
I also want to say, you asked about the ideal situation. So if I had the magic wand, the ideal situation would be that vice versa would be true. So when product is engaged in conversations about product, you would have somebody, maybe multiple people from the how cycle attend those meetings to primarily to understand, but also to interject when things are getting to a point where technologically feasibility becomes fuzzy. Right. They, so, for example, they say, well, can we do this, this and this? I mean, we can do that on five different mobile platforms or however many there, there right. might be. Yeah. Uh, development can, can say, you really cannot do that right now, uh -huh. maybe next year or whatever, whatever might be the case. Yeah. So hearing those pivots early on and getting to pivot early on is mm -hmm. key instead of going down the road in terms of product ideation and then coming back saying this is what we want. And that's when the development folks will go away, the architects maybe, mm -hmm. go away, come back and say, no, it can't be done with these three platforms. Yeah. Uh, that's that's shortening the chain. And yeah. that's very, very easy to do. You're having the same meeting. You're just having it now instead of then, mm -hmm. right? months later. So that would be something that I would, in an ideal situation, would love to see that. Yeah. I want to dig into the, the multi-product environment that, that you were talking about right there. If there are multiple products, each product having its own roadmap, like now there is like, there's the what meeting, you know what I mean? Of like, here's what's going on in the business. And now that that what meeting spans multiple roadmaps for different products, I feel there's a higher level meeting now that is is basically high level business intake. Like the, like the, the true leaders of the business saying, hey, we need to, I'll give you just, here's a random example out of the year. I'm gonna go with this example, it's not a great example. Hey, we're in a recession and our customers are all not doing great financially, so this is not a great year to raise prices by 10%. So we're gonna lock in prices with a 2% raise, so we don't have a lot of money to give employees. So what we need to do in order to have a little bit of extra bandwidth this year is we need to reduce the cost of maintaining all of our systems by 10%. So now I, I as leadership, go to product and say, hey, you need to bring to your teams, we need to reduce the cost of all of the systems across the board, 10%. The business objective I'm looking for is my final number for what it costs to run all of the systems, teams, employees, everything, is 10% less than what it was last year. So go figure out how to implement that. Now, whether that's a reduction in the amount of servers, whether whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but there's now a higher level, like leadership, coming down and now all of my individual products that have their own roadmaps are figuring out how to take this oh this is the number one priority now they're figuring out how to take this and bring it back to their backlogs and engage their teams to say what can we save money on what can we reduce can we do some cleanup on the database can we reduce the number of servers can we reduce our spend on azure or whatever whatever you're spending money on i don't know i'm not you know, yeah, I don't know no, that's a fair point so when it comes down from up on high like that as a business initiative you're almost looking at senior leadership deciding where they're putting their money or cutting their sure, costs, sure. right? And that, that does transcend all of the different lines of product. So everybody that has a product, the, the product folks will take that objective and then go to their teams and figure yeah. out how. But there's value in them talking to one another about that objective as well, right? For sure. example, just taking that, that, that example you cited, you want to cut the cost by 10%. You're going to engage with your ops folks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Maybe you come up with some creativity there. Maybe you can say, we've been very good to our customers when it comes to support, right? We've always had people available to answer the phones 24-7. Yeah. Now what we're going to do is to say that, that answering the phone 
they only get that between say nine to five. Right. Outside of that, there's a premium to be paid if they want right. the answer. So try and try and raise a little bit of money that sure. way. Another example is maintenance contracts that the customers are on. Mm -hmm. Get them to sign up for multi-year contracts even if it means a sliding discount. Mm -hmm. So you get the cash up front. Mm -hmm. There's all these things. The reason I, I mentioned those two things is when you think about cutting costs, everybody goes straight to how do we cut costs? Fire everyone. Yeah, fire everybody, shut down servers, spin them down when you're not using them, that kind of stuff, especially on the cloud. Raise the rates. Yeah, exactly. But there are other ways. So I think the product folks talking to one another germinates these ideas. Yeah. And I think that forum is very, very important. Brian and Ohm software development firm, we sold out, we cashed out, um, home stayed there for a year or whatever. And now like the, what, what was a 20 person company is now like a hundred person company. Yeah. And at some point a private equity firm comes in and is like, Hey, you know what? Like we, we need to be in this market space. We're going to go buy eight companies that are all about a hundred people and merge them all together. And now there's ultra chaos. Like it, it might not be this way. It might, it, like you might naturally grow from a hundred person company into a 500 person company. I see that all the time where, Hey, we were in this market segment and now we're going to expand to this other market segment. And now there's all kinds of unchecked growth throughout the business. You know, we, we move our product into another line of business. Maybe our product was marketed specifically to restaurants, but then we discovered that like every hotel in the world also has a restaurant inside of it. So now we sell to restaurants and hotels. So now we're a restaurant hotel company, but also we don't know anything about hotels. So we have to hire a bunch of people quickly to be able to service that market segment. So now we're expanding rapidly. So it, it's it's completely conceivable. And I'm not, this is not over like a 30 day period. It's like a two, three year period. Yeah. Like we go from hundred people to 500 people. Whether we are bought by someone and merged with someone else or whether we grow organically, it doesn't really matter. We went from, being able to manage all these relationships and now now we are big and that's that's assuming that we don't get bought by google or another company like that where they're just like hey we like your product sign on the dotted line and, yeah. and also we don't need you anymore right. like, or, or we like your customers we don't care about your product that's we're just true. gonna yeah. run that dry yeah, right. all right so yeah i mean if, so if i've hung around from when we sold our little mom and pop thing i don't know why you would. i don't know why yeah. i would but what happens now so in terms of the two sides of the house so to speak the two circles that we spoke about yes if you've grown organically you may have less of an issue because you had the luxury of growing from within hopefully but yeah hopefully but if you got if you got bought by a bigger company you're gonna have the same problem only now there are more products there are more product people yeah likewise on the other side more developers more teams so the whole thing exacerbates as the problem statement yeah. right yeah the flip side is the people that bought you have probably bought others and they're trying to assimilate everybody together like that just happens yeah. uh, uh, with the same ease as it does with them putting numbers on the spreadsheet together uh, no so coming into that sort of an environment you have your work cut out yeah and at this point this is where you quickly have to form alliances mm -hmm. you have to figure out who is going to help you get to where you need to get to first of all there is no equilibrium when you go there oh boy right so you've got to reach to a, a point where it the ground is still shaking but it's shaking the least oh boy did, did we just transition from a podcast about having a functioning what and how cycles in your company to a podcast about how to build influence in the area in which you are responsible inside of your large ecosystem that touches other ecosystems because for product managers in organizations where you're not directly responsible for products you only have influence in other backlogs basically mm -hmm. uh, we just jumped into the podcast of hey look 
welcome to the company and also like you're not in control of anything and nobody reports to you so i hope that you understand how to exert influence over different segments of the company to get what you need done to make your product successful everything that worked before now that we're 500 people a thousand people 1200 people 10,000 people whatever um, doesn't really matter. At some point when we broke Dunbar's number, we were like, we were driving on the road before stopping at stoplights or whatever. And then when we broke Dunbar's number, we were just like, <laughs> we were like a, 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 a doc in Back to the Future. We were like, roads, we don't need roads. And now we're just flying around everywhere. You know, because like now nothing, there are no rules and nothing matters. Like the only thing that matters is, do people care about your message organizationally? And will they stop to listen across whatever business units or product lines or whatever? Yeah, I mean, we can we can continue down this path or save that for a separate I, dedicated I, podcast. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to continue because I don't yeah. like it. No, this, this is, is not, a separate yeah, podcast. Yeah, the functioning in an organization of a hundred thousand people, the largest organizations. Uh, how much of your job? What percentage of your job is just connecting with people and just maintaining relationships? So that it, one day you might need those relationships to say when we test things. We have unit tests on all of our code and we have automation and TDD on all of our code and uh, your product that we intersect with, that we whatever hand off to or integrate with or whatever, doesn't have any of those tests. Yeah. That's gonna be a problem at some point. It, it sure is. I mean, when you jump into a company that big, let's just say 10, 100,000, doesn't matter. I mean, the yeah. biggest companies are three times that big. Sure. But there, there, you're not gonna have binoculars to see past just your little sphere right. of influence right. um, and anything that's happening beyond that is simply made aware to you by looking at the company bulletin like mm -hmm. this is what we've done over there mm -hmm. that's it you don't know what's going on really over there so it becomes all the more critical at that point to say we're going to take two or three things that we're going to improve on and you're going to sell that just to your own team first if you're a product person you're going to sell the idea to your product manager and your development folks right mm -hmm. that that's it just just our little microcosm and see if we can make success happen based on that assumption. You're testing, it's like an experiment almost. Yeah. You're testing that out. If it doesn't work, well, stop as early as yeah. you can and pivot. If it works, well, you can now, whoever's asking about it, or you can tell a few more people about it. And you build out that way, mm -hmm. right? It takes time, first of all, clearly. Yeah. It also is fraught with a lot of risk because no matter how well your, your experiment is going, someone's gonna come back and find a way to spit on that. That just happens sure, when you have sure. 10,000 people. Yeah. That's where you need alliances even more. I'm not gonna go back to that, but you do need people to say, what we're doing makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's not one person, just some wacky person saying, let's do things this way. It's gonna be multiple wacky people saying the same thing, more or less the same thing, so, that has some gravita to it. So when we were in a slightly smaller company, we built a, a community of product managers and we built a community of dev team representatives. Now that we're in a, a much, much, much larger company, a much larger ecosystem, you know, I mean, we got bought by Google. Congratulations, we 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 can all buy mansions now. We still have to set that up to be successful. So it sounds like what you're saying is you want to reach out to the people that kind of align with your way of thinking or your way of working or your product or whatever. The people that kind of naturally align, you want to reach out to them first and start rebuilding that circle, mm -hmm. no, no matter how small or big or whatever that circle is. I, I'm wondering if. If, like the what and the how we talked about before were like functioning cycles to drive the business forward. Now I'm wondering if it's, if it's functional cycles to drive the business forward inside of smaller business units 
inside a larger organization, but also if it's like if there's like a community of practice slash interest element of it as well on top of all that. You know what I mean? So when you say community of interest or practice, these are mainly around adoption of practices, right? Yeah. And you can definitely do that and they can transcend all these I'll say political beliefs that persist in an organization within groups yeah. because it is what it is, right? So you can have external people come in and, and you know, wax lyrical about good practices. You can do all those sorts of things. That doesn't make those people adopt them. Yeah. They simply attend. They're optional most of the time anyway. Yeah. If they attend, they'll attend and say, that was interesting, and then they walk away. It doesn't make them say, hey, this is something we need to do. That unfortunately is grassroots. It has to grow in from, from, like, from one little sphere mm-hmm. And it's going to be small initially, but once you have success, you can now really expound on that, tell people about it, evangelize it, and touch the next layer that is on the periphery of your domain. Hmm. Forget about all those other people that are doing things that way, a different way. That's fine. They're going to continue that way. But soon, very soon, people will realize that what's happening here is of value. And that's when you can start to grow that. The downside to this this idea, there is one downside and it's significant, and that is it depends what your role is in the organization. If you're a product person or if you're a development person or if or even agile coach, really, I mean just in one little area, one of many, you have your work cut out. Yeah. Because other agile coaches, I speak for them, they're gonna find twenty reasons to think and tell you why your way is not the best. Oh, it, it just happens that way. So if you have influence with people that can drive decisions and that takes trust and all of that then you have a better chance that's it and a podcast that was such a great exit that i don't have anything to add after that cool <laughs> we talked about what happens in small tiny small companies we talked about medium-sized businesses we pretty, we pretty much talked about like positives and dysfunctions in medium-sized businesses we didn't really harp too much in this episode on uh what happens when you get someone that's like just like just do what I say? You know what I mean that kind of stuff. I feel we harp well, on that. We'll save that for a different podcast. Oh, we harp on that so much on our regular podcast. <laughs> I, I feel like people that listen to this they they understand our viewpoint on that. So I, I like that we're like, hey, this is how you know that things are clicking right. well. Things are working well. That you see these things going on. And then it got real murky when we moved into large companies because. Uh, because things are murky. Exactly, know? that is exactly right. So things are murky when you get to a large company, right? Yeah. Lots yeah. of lots of forces at play. Well, yeah, you, I mean, the, the thing for me there is like, yeah, you can't separate the political from all of the operational and strategic and all, all the things you're gonna be dealing with. Like, there, is, there is a political element. You have to be spending a good amount of your time making sure that you are bringing people into your sphere of influence, basically. Yeah. There's not really anyone out there talking about it, I don't think. Uh, that should be a big thing in the Scrum Master uh, trainings and whatnot. I was like expanding your sphere of influence, and I just don't see it. Yeah, it's lacking. Yeah. Hopefully one day they'll incorporate that, because that's not the kind of stuff that you learn in college. They don't teach you that. Well, they definitely don't teach you that. Like, they teach you about Gantt charts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Polynomial equations and Gantt charts. That's right. Neither of them I have any use that's for. Right. All right, well, if you're into polynomial equations and Gantt charts, like and subscribe.